Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. The Freshman Foundation helps young athletes be ready for every next step in the game of life through mental performance coaching. Before we get started with this episode, I wanted to tell you about the upcoming Freshman Foundation digital course. The course is designed specifically to help high school athletes be ready for the challenging transition to college athletics. It's something that I've been working on for a number of years. The course teaches the skills critical to navigating the transition to college athletics, including building a growth mindset, resourcefulness, confidence, resilience, and building a support network. The course will be available on August 1st, 2023. Visit michaelvhuber.com backslash course to learn more and enroll now. Thank you for listening to the Freshman Foundation Podcast. Curious about how to establish effective communication and strengthen the bond with your teenage athlete? Welcome to the Freshman Foundation, a podcast that helps young athletes and their families be ready for every next step in their athletic journey. In this episode, we're honored to host Janine Muchawar, a respected life coach dedicated to assisting parents of teenagers. From the significance of emotional regulation to mastering effective communication, Janine guides us through the intricate dynamics of parent-teen interactions. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Janine Muchawar. Hi, Janine. How are you? Great, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great tonight. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. It's great to see you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. It's absolutely my pleasure. Uh, So to get started, the first question I'd ask you is, what inspired you to go into the field of coaching parents of, of teenagers? Yeah. Okay. That's a long story. I'll try to make sure you can- We like long uh, stories me. on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am a parent to three young adults. And um, you know, parenting for me, I parented just instinctively, which for most of us tends to be influenced by how we were raised. And that worked really well for a number of years when they were young. But when they hit the teenage years, I continued to parent that way. And what I noticed is they, I don't even know if I recognized this at the time, but that they needed something different from me. What I did notice is that conflict and tension started coming up and there was more arguing going on. And I was feeling like a nag. Um, I seemed like I was more worried than I used to be, more concerned. And as those feelings kind of ramped up, I noticed that my kids, particularly one of them, was pushing me away and disengaging. And that became even more worrisome. And as as I saw him pull away, I was tightening the reins. (laughs) which just was continuing to backfire. We were in this cycle and it just wasn't what I thought my relationship with my kids would be like. And I got, you know, just kind of scared, started, you know, listening to podcasts, reading the books, looking for information, but nothing was working. And so eventually with um, my middle one, who I was having the hardest time communicating with, we went to a program together where he learned new communication skills and I learned new communication skills as well. And it just had such a dramatic impact on our relationship and everything I wanted it to be, it started coming back again. Not that it was idyllic. I mean, these are teenagers. (laughs) There's always going to be some, you know, struggle going on. But the peace and the joy that came back far outweighed that. And it felt like whatever tension was left over was just normal tension. And I felt him come back into the family. And that was such a relief. 
um, I just thought I have got to get this information into in, into the hands of as many parents as possible as quickly as possible. And so that's how I discovered that life coaching could be the medium that I helped people. And I had the education from this program and 26 years of parenting three really different children. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> how uh, I'm curious, how old was your son at this point? When we went to the program? Yes. He actually, uh, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't until his senior year in high school. Um, yeah, I love when parents come to me and want to do a coaching relationship when their kids are younger. You have this beautiful runway of time to learn new parenting skills that are more fit to and work with teenagers and to really impact your relationship so you don't ever get to that point of you know screaming and yelling and arguing and and the disconnection but unfortunately i you know didn't learn it till his senior year in high school um but you know it it worked it worked quickly and we continue to use those skills today yeah so so i'm curious like I assume that this was something that the idea was initiated by you. Is that a fair assessment? Well, without throwing him under the bus, I guess I kind of will. But um, he was asked to leave the school first day senior year of high school. So we're in a bit of a crisis, right? He's in the middle of applying to colleges and he needs his recommendations from his college counselors. Um, There was a lot of risky behavior going on with, you know, smoking and things like that. And so um, it was an awakening for us that, oh, wait a minute, like not only am I feeling like he's slipping away, but um, we have like hardcore facts that we need to deal with and really do something significantly different. Yeah. So, so the, the reason I asked that question was because I think one of the things that I see in my work, and I'm sure you see it in the work that you do, whether it's with a parent or the parents, what they're sort of explaining or telling you about their children, or if you're exposed to them, is like motivation is such a key factor in this, right? In that case, it sounds like there were some really, you know, really, really serious external factors that were driving you to like, you know, the number of solutions that you might have had at your disposal at that point. We're pretty limited, but I think a lot of times in those situations, the motivation isn't, isn't as strong. And so, you know, a lot of times kids and adults, frankly, don't want to take that step forward to make the change. But, you know, sometimes it's that conflict that really leads to the best possible outcome. And it sounds like in your case, like for all the things that may have happened and challenges you had, it actually led you to a much better place. Um, You know, that it's better late than never, I guess is the best way to put it. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's always in hindsight. At the time, it feels like a crisis, but in hindsight, I'm so grateful for it. It just, like I mentioned, it just so dramatically changed our relationship and my relationship with my other children. It gave us all new communication tools. Um, And yeah, I'm so grateful for it. Um, Now, having said that, as I mentioned before, it's so great when parents seek out this kind of help earlier when you're speaking about, you know, seeing kids who aren't motivated or, you know, especially athletes, um, there, there are different ways that you can communicate to them as a parent that are more effective in motivating them. So although my experience was not with an athlete who wasn't motivated, it still are different communication skills. Sure. And so in, in my field in, in sports psychology, you know, there's a, a motivational theory that we sort of lean on pretty heavily. And it's something that I subscribe to in my work, which is called self-determination theory. But self-determination theory is applied across all realms, including parenting. Right. The idea that in order to motivate people, you've got to create the right climate in order for them to want to change specifically the the perception of autonomy or control. And it sounds like the way you describe your relationship with your children and your one son in particular, part of that process was you trying to kind of take control and dictate the outcomes. And he was resisting because he probably felt like he didn't have a say in his own choices. Is that a fair 
characterization of the situation? You, I mean, you're spot on. And it's honestly probably the number one problem that I work with with most clients is that we don't realize when they hit, you know, to be teenagers that, wait, they need something different from us now because they want that autonomy and they don't want to feel like you're controlling them. I mean, frankly, most of the time they think you know nothing and you don't get it. So, but the problem, the struggle for parents is that there was so many years that went by where they weren't autonomous right? And, and we had to show up. We had to give them, you know, our life lessons, our wisdoms, tell them what they should do, what they need to do. That was our role to keep them safe. But what happens is, is, you know, when we did that, we got all of this positive feedback. And so it gets wired into our nervous system, right? Oh, I want that positive feedback. Or if I do this, X, right? If I tell them what they should do or need to do, I will get positive feedback from that. So what happens is when they become teenagers, it's a parent's challenge to to like flip that. Now it's time for you to be curious and for them to come up with their own wisdom. Yeah. I I think that that's really instructive I mean, because I'm a parent myself and I certainly can relate to that. Um, but also in the work that I do, because I do a lot of work with teenagers themselves, and I am very much curious about their journey. I'm curious about what they need. And I'm, I encourage them to sort of take the lead on the coaching process because I want them to get out of it what they want. And what I find, to your point, is a lot of times it's very foreign to them, even they're uncomfortable when an adult comes to them and asks them for their opinion or an adult comes to them and says, Hey, what do you think about this? Like, how would you solve this problem? What do you need? And they're just like, I don't get it because everybody's always telling me what to do for them. It's very like, I don't say it's off-putting. I think it's refreshing, but I, I just don't think they know how to react. I mean, that sounds like what you're describing. Like parents are sort of just not able to sort of transition with you know, with the socio-emotional development transition into a different, you know, way of thinking and way of parenting, they're sort of just stuck in that old kind of behavioristic, you know, pattern. Is that a fair assessment yeah. as well? Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. Um, it's like, yeah, if you just all of a sudden want their solution and their opinion, all that, when they, they aren't used to providing that or thinking that way, the conversation is awkward and uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable. They don't know how to answer you. And so it's like you can learn new communication tools and strategies And at the same time, you have to give them some grace and time to catch up with you, right? So that there is a transition and it's not just black and white. I think like most parents, like we're really good at that in the younger years. Like we're good at transitioning from what they need at three to what they need at six to maybe, you know, what they need at nine. But there's just so much information out there about younger, you know, parenting younger kids. And there's not a lot of information out there on how to parent teens. And so what I notice is parents are struggling because they're just stuck in the old, in the patterns that used to work. Yeah. I, I, I think, I mean, that's, I, I really, it's a really interesting point to me because I think adolescence is just such an an awkward time in general, right? Like not even in the traditional sense, but like part of them, they're adults, right? Part of like them looks like adults and feels like, and sounds like adults, but then there's a part of them that's still a kid, right? So they're in this sort of weird place of like, okay, do I treat them like an adult? Do I treat them like a kid? How do I balance that? And it is very, very sticky. It's not the same as, you know, you go from diapers to potty train to, right? Like those stages are pretty, are pretty set for us, but then adolescence just gets a little bit mushier. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, it's like, okay, they're in a transition, but I think what most parents don't recognize is, well, we need to be in a transition too, right? So we need to go from 
like heavy handed parenting to some middle ground and gradual ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, you know, letting out the reins and giving them more and more independence and autonomy as you see when they're ready to handle it. And then you've got another transition again when they go to college, right? And you have even less control and influence, right? But you want to be laying the groundwork in high school for them to be building these life skills when they're still in the safety of your home. So when they launch to college, they've, they're equipped to solve their own problems, right? So maybe initially in high school, it's a deer in headlights, like, I don't know what the answer is. Why are you asking me? You usually tell me. But at some point, we need to help them develop those problem-solving skills so that when they're not in the safety of our home, they're equipped to thrive. Yeah. yeah. And you just basically summarized, the, the, you just summarized the, the theme and sort of the, 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 the tone of this podcast, which is exactly that, right? Like having young people prepared for the next step. And I think in order to do that, you've actually got to prepare, right? You've got to do something differently sooner before they get there rather than sending them there to college, say, for instance, without any real runway. And now all of a sudden it's like figuring it out in this really foreign and stressful environment. I guess I would, I have a lot of questions based upon what you just said. So like, what are some of the, like, can you sort of describe the conditions under which people reach out to you and inquire about your services? Because I would imagine that just like with you, a lot of parents are coming to you in crisis mode rather than in a proactive way. But I don't want to assume that. So like, what's sort of the profile of, of your clients coming to you? Um, yeah, I, I'd say it's about 50-50. I think people who are more in my inner circle and know my story or a piece of my story, though they tend to come to me when their children are in crisis, right? They're drinking, they're smoking, they're doing drugs, they're you know, having sex, like risky behavior is the category I would put it in. Um, but honestly, the other half who don't know me personally, um, they tend to have younger kids, middle school kids. Their oldest is 12 or 13, but they might even have some younger kids. And really their motivation is, hey, I want the high school years to be calm and peaceful. And I want to be the best parent that I can be. And I'm, you know, seeing friends' kids who are older and saying, wow, th this is just a whole different um different skills that I need as a parent. And I, you know, they want to avoid the conflict and tension from it never happening. And it is such a joy to coach those parents because just from the position I came in, I just feel like you are giving your child such a gift and yourself such a gift by starting this early. And the other nice thing about starting early is the problems aren't as big. <laughs> you're dealing with maybe procrastination or challenge doing your chores or challenge registering for classes. The problems aren't as big as when you get to the junior, senior year. Oftentimes, it's the more really high-risk behaviors that you are scaring you and you mm. want them to make better choices. Yep. And it's more difficult. Absolutely. So it, it's 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 almost exactly aligned with what I see in my work. So when I started my work, I envisioned working with older adolescents, right? High school age kids. And in those cases, a lot of times if parents come to me at that point, it is they're in crisis mode or something needs to be fixed, quote unquote. And what I find is when I get in those situations, 16, 17, 18, there's a lot of unwinding, deprogramming because they've already learned their patterns, right? They learn their thinking patterns, their behavior patterns. They're sort of set in their ways. And unless the the, the person is motivated and open-minded at that age, it's going to be hard to sort of undo it. It's going to be harder. What I find is now I get, I'm getting these inquiries from young, parents of younger kids who are, have young athletes who are primarily dealing with fear of failure, perfectionism, like um, overthinking, like just really being really hard on themselves. And they're coming to me with 10-year-olds um, 
They're coming to me with 10 year olds. Um, you still there? I'm sorry. Yeah. They're coming to me with 10 year olds. I should have shut my phone off. Um, they're coming to me with 10 year olds and, and nine year olds and 12 year olds. And, um, at first I was really reluctant. I'm like, do they really need to do this? But to your point, what I found is that those kids are much more malleable. They're much more like it's, you have to communicate them in a totally different way because developmentally they're just in a different place. But with these basic concepts, concepts like this is what I can and can't control. How does this make you feel when something happens? Identifying feelings, right? What can I do differently, right? Or helping them just sort of understand basic like concepts in terms of how to manage their emotions. Like when you put that in, you, you put that into play when they're 10, 11, 12 years old. Now you've laid a foundation for a kid who's going to be one, they're probably going to have and be able to apply those at some level, although it's not going to solve all your problems, but they're going to start to think a different way. Secondly, they're probably going to be more open to, to getting help later in life because they were exposed to it really early. And I think that is probably the, one of the biggest things that I see is that a lot of kids, and especially in the space that I'm in coaching, don't, they're uncomfortable about asking for help. And that's a skill they're not very good at. And it's not, that's a real challenge for them when they say go to off to college and then you're on your own. If you don't know how to ask for help from somebody, you're going to, you're going to have a hard time because you're not going to be able to do it all by yourself. Or if you do, it's going to be really hard. Do you find to tie it back to you? I mean, do you find parents resistant to, to change or do you find them, do you find it hard to help them sometimes? Or when they come to you, they're just sort of an open book, say, please help me. It's very individual. Um, there, you know, I have a dad who, you know, his, his daughter's 13 and he didn't like, he felt them drifting apart. He felt like he was angry all the time at the choices she was making and felt like there was this change in their relationship from being so close to, to now drifting apart. He came to coaching so motivated to make a change that there was, I, I mean, I was shocked. There was just zero resistance. And he ended up making progress with his daughter within weeks. I'd say that was the fastest I've ever seen anyone turn things around. It's more common to, to just be resistant to some of this because it's not the way we were raised. It's not the way we were taught to think, right? And we just naturally you know, we, we have the best of intentions, but when they're teenagers, we're still communicating with them. You should do this. You need to do this, or this is why you're wrong. Right. Or let me, let me do it for you. Right. And, and that, that method of communication, it's so wired in us because for many parents, their parents parented them that way. And in their mind, it worked. They're quote unquote successful, right? Because we're not taught as a culture to like dive into, but wait, are you kind of stuck in people pleasing, guilt, shame, anger, right? We don't, we don't make the connection, but the yeah, fact I, is I, it is connected. <laughs> it's a, it, but, but what you just said is really, it's on the mark. I've, I've experienced it firsthand. Um, I, I've experienced it in marriage with, you know, with a spouse who I think was very much that way. And I was probably that way too, when they were very little. And then I kind of went through some things myself where I started to expose myself to therapy and, and, you know, mindfulness meditation and all these different, you know, sort of um, modalities to try to be a more peaceful person and what I learned through a lot of that was exactly what you described, which is like, you know, and, and in my training, like the way you ask people questions, um, how you like, you know, the wording of the question, how you do it. Um, are you being mindful? You know, am I, is, am I taking this too personally? Right. I think that's a huge one as a parent. We take it personally when our kids make bad choices because it's a reflection on us and we want to control the kids so that we can make ourselves feel better Rather than going like, they're not doing it to me, they're testing the waters and I need to understand why they're doing it so that I can help guide them in the right direction and start treating them with a bit of respect to say, hey, you're making this choice. You got to understand the consequences. 
but he, you know, here's why I think maybe you should try it this way versus saying, no, you need to do this. And as soon as you tell them they, you need to do this, you know what they're going to go do? <laughs> they're going to go do it. Right. Exactly. No, I mean, that's just so insightful. Um, you know, that was the culture that we grew up in that, whatever we do, we were sent that message from our parents that whatever we do, it reflects on them. And so, of course, we just naturally think that. And so we're very tied to your point to what our ch- our child's behavior, because we, we feel uh, unconsciously that it is a reflection on us versus my child is a good kid. He's struggling with something right now. Right. How can I help him? It's yeah. nothing to do with me. Yeah. 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 And it's something I see too. I mean, in sports, parents, you know, invest so much nowadays, certainly more than my parents ever did, invest so much in the development of the young athlete, right? The young person. And there's a lot of reasons why they might do that. And I don't really want to get into that. But I think you know, it's this, like, I've done everything I can kind of thing. I've, I've spent so much money. I've spent so much time. I've given him all the resources. Why aren't I getting, or my son or daughter getting the results that they want? And then there's this lack of control. And then it becomes a cycle of conflict about the parents says, well, you need to do this. And the kid says, I am doing that. And right. And so what, what I usually find is parents who come to me at their wits end, frankly, and say like, I don't know what else to do. I'm, I've tried everything I can try. And I, I, I just think as a parent, I can't get through to my kid and I need someone to help. And that's typically where I come in. And I always tell them, I said, listen, I do this for a living. I have two children and they still don't listen to me. So I, I, they know, they know what I'm capable of and what I do for a living. And when I give them advice, they just basically ignore me right now, whether they internalize it or not, doesn't, I, mean, I will, maybe I'll know one day, but they don't tell me. But point being is, is that the, the relationship is just so sensitive and can be so volatile and so conditional that parents sometimes just need to step out of the way or to, in, in your case, come to you and say, help me, like, help me make this more livable, better, happy so that we don't have to go through all this heartache. And I yeah. think it's wonderful that, that you're doing it. Um, how long have you been doing it? Oh gosh. Uh, 2017. What is that? Six years? Good six for years. you. It's six awful. years of coaching. And then yeah, 26 years of parenting. A, yeah, real life, right? real world, <laughs> real life, hands-on experience, battle scars and all of yeah. that, which I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure it informs your work. And, and, you know, I think it's, I think you could probably look back to saying like, you know, like, wow, like look at the changes that, that you made. Right. Because like you went through all of it and, and parents, I say this all the time and I went through this with my own family, my own parents is, you know, I realized at a much later age in life that like parents just do the best they can with what they have. Right. Like we're all taught a certain way. Right. We, 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 we just try to do the best in the moment. Right. Like we're, we're not, we don't have bad intentions and sometimes we're just limited in our capacity to, to make the right decisions or the best decisions and that's okay. We're human, right? But to be able to step up and say, hey, I need help. I think that's really cool. Um, so, so tell yeah, me I, more about- I, really, I really had to spend a lot of time embodying that concept because once you, you know, quote unquote, see the light and you're like, oh, if I t- speak and communicate with them differently, it's going, you know, my outcome is going to be much better. I think once I learned these tools, it was very natural to just all of a sudden beat myself up like, oh, if I'd only had these tools earlier and things would have been so much better. And, uh, you know, it's, similar to what you said, it's like, we're doing the best we can with the knowledge we have. The The coach training program I went through, one of the lines was, there are no mistakes. And when I first heard that, I'm like, what? <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. But it was in the context of, we only view a mistake when we have new knowledge and you're reflecting on something in the past, right? And if you go back to that time, you had good intentions as a parent. You were trying your very best with the tools that were in your toolbox. 
And so, you know, just to really, as you do start learning new ways to communicate, you know, I know just personally, I had to spend time like not beating myself up because you're like, oh, now that I know this new way, (laughs) what was I doing? I was just not good. (laughs) It's a very common way of thinking. It's something I deal with all the time with athletes as well, right? We we have these high expectations that we should always get things right. And then we make a mistake and we focus on the mistake rather than all of the good things that we did. Because, right, like you did a lot of good things as a parent, but we just sort of tell ourselves like, well, we were supposed to do that. But the mistake that we made, we shouldn't have done that. And we focus on that, which is really, I think, unfair to ourselves. So, so tell me more in a little bit more detail. Tell me about your coaching process, what that looks like. Um, is it group? Is it one-on-one? What's the duration? Sort of what are the skills that you teach? Can you sort of just give me a rundown on that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so right now, if you want to work with me, it's one-on-one private coaching. Um, I do work with two parents at the same time and me if they, you know, want to come on the Zoom call together. Some mom and dads like to do that, which works if they are pretty aligned in their values and their parenting style. Some parents are not aligned in that, in which case we I work with them separately. But in general, it's a one-on-one private coaching for six months. And, you know, Almost just to circle back kind of what you were bringing up before is, you know, most parents, especially the parents of your audience, like you mentioned, they've invested their time, their money, their resources to help empower their child to be the best athlete possible. And when you're in the day-to-day minutiae, you tend to have expectations, some you're aware of, some you're not. But when you're not seeing the results that you're expecting, it's only natural for you to get frustrated or angry or irritated. And, you, you know, when you get, what happens is the the problem here is you get stuck in this loop of, you know, if my child would just do this, all would be better. Or, you know, it, it, again, we've been talking about like, telling them what the right way to do it, offering your wisdom, what they should do, need to do. And in general, when you do that, two things happen, right? Either one, they quote unquote, obey you or take your advice. And it feels good to you in the short term because it might impact the results. What I would have to just caution you of is that tends to be external motivation that you've created. And if you really want your child to go the distance in their sport, they have to have that internal motivation and desire. I see yeah, you nodding you're saying, along. You're, 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 speaking, you're speaking my language, right? Language. The external motivation, if it's that's the only motivation, it's unsustainable because ultimately you're chasing outcomes and results that are not they're not completely within your control if they're in your control at all. And when you don't get what you want, you burn out on it, right? Like it's the most mm-hmm. simplistic way we would look at it in, in sports. But you're right, right? You've got to be able to create the conditions for internal motivation. And that does not happen overnight. It just it, doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. A lot of it's just an innate desire. And, you know, if parents who are listening, if you don't believe – Uh, me and Mike, ask some Olympic athletes. I mean, my husband was an Olympian, my brother was an Olympian, and they will tell you that it was all internal drive, internal desire, internal motivation. Um, You know, I think that is probably the, the lion's share of athletes who've taken it all the way uh, had that. They weren't doing it to please their parents. You know, they were doing it because for the love of the sport. So, you know, just to bring it back, like, so there's the kids who are externally motivated and so you feel better, right? Because now they're doing what you said. Or there's the child who is more rebellious and does the exact opposite or won't listen. And then you're frustrated and you, what we tend to just do naturally is insert ourselves more. And that's when you get stuck in that cycle. So to, you know, what we work on, if you work with me in coaching, is we first start with learning a different way to communicate. 
you know, a way that promotes internal motivation and desire, a way that you can engage them in the conversation. They're not just paying you lip service, a way to connect with them so they feel like you really understand them and you get them. And then finally, a way to help them make better choices or you know, what our, I think, parent brain likes to think is cooperate, (laughs) cooperate with me for God's sakes, (laughs) right? But in essence, it's like make better choices, better decisions. And so we, I, I walk, you know, when we first start working together, I will walk you through a five-step process where the first step is to really calm your own emotions down, right? So, if we see that our child, you know, didn't play well in a game, you know, we might feel sad or we might feel frustrated if we think they didn't try their best, or we might feel angry that the coach didn't play them when we expected them to, right? All these emotions naturally come up because you're human and you're a parent and you love your kid. But what happens is when those emotions come up, we have this urge to talk to them right then and there right? Because we want to get, the emotions feel horrible. We want to get rid of them. So that's like our default solution is, oh, I'm going to go talk to them and I'm going to tell them what to do and this is going to fix the problem. And more often than not, it creates tension between the two of you. So the first thing we work on, this is not easy, but it is doable. I'm sure you work on it with your parents as well, which is all about how are you thinking about the problem? How are you feeling? And taking ownership over, okay, I need to calm my own emotions down. My kid's not responsible for my anger and frustration. And I need to just calm myself down before I even engage in a conversation with them. Because I, I like to call it, it's like it's like bad BO, right? You walk in and do a conversation with them and your energy is filled with anger or frustration. Like you're going to repel them. <laughs> They're going to push you away and, and distance themselves because your emotions feel overwhelming to them. And they tend to like freeze up or push you away because they think, oh gosh, whenever this happens, I'm going to get punished right? I'm like, yeah. there's going to be some consequence going on that I don't want. Well, so I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. I, 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 I've thought about this before and I actually wrote something away a while back about this, like why like the mental skills training that I use for athletes could be really good for parents. Cause at the end of the day, parents are, they're, they're performers, right? They have a really, really important job to execute on. And it's a, it's a very, um, it's a high stakes job, right? If we don't do our job well as parents, the consequences can be really dire. So parents really need to have skills like that. So things I would say would be like, learn how to be mindful of like identifying your emotions, right? Learn to breathe, like know how to reset yourself when you find yourself going off the deep end so that you're not right playing and, you know, you're not, your engine's not going to blow because I'd say the same thing to an athlete if you're not controlling your emotions, you're not able to relax, you can't reset yourself and now you're all wound up and now you're going to go try to play, it's going to be terrible and then it's only going to get worse. So parents are not really any different. I think the other thing I talk to athletes about, and this is certainly something parents can be better at, I just know from my general observation in the world, is think about putting yourself in your kid's shoes, being empathetic. Like, think about when you were 12 years old. Would you want your mom or dad coming over, yelling at you, pointing at the coach? Like, I know maybe they did it, but would you want that? No, you were probably embarrassed as hell. And like, so if you didn't want it done to you, why are you doing it to them? You know what I'm saying? And I think parents are really not good at that. We forget, (laughs) do unto others as we would have done to you, right? Just that basic concept. Yeah. 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 And I I think, but I think in that context too, and you're right, like the golden rule, but at the same time, I think there's this perception of we're the adults and they're the kids. And, and and this is not to to disparage any grownups, but I think that there's a lack, the way I view it personally, my personal opinion, there tends, or there can be, not tends to be, there can be a lack of respect for the person. Meaning the child is a person. Yes, they're a younger person, but they're still a person. Are you showing them the respect that they deserve, which is going to allow you to get through to them, right? 
to, to get your point across and cooperate. If they feel like they're being disrespected or that they don't trust you, forget it. it it's not good. It's not going to work. It's just not right. And so I think it's parents really, you know, a lot of us can be better at that and, and being able to help people through that's got to be really rewarding. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you touched on, you know, what I call coping skills, right? So you ask yourself, like, what do I do to calm myself down? Like, if I pet my dog, will that calm me down? If I listen to some music, will that calm me down? You know, meditate, go for a walk. But to identify what works for you that feels calm. Um, And then, of course, there's the whole mindset work, but that's at a deeper level when you start realizing, wow, I can actually refocus my thoughts to to a different perspective and it will help me feel better. Um, And then also, I think the last thing you touched on, um, I like to, I think a way that you can think about it as a parent that will also help calm your emotions down is my child hasn't learned this skill yet. So how can I help them learn this versus they're bad, they're wrong, they're never going to do it, they're going to go off to college and, you know, not know how to do their laundry and, you know, they're going to be an alcoholic and, right, we tend to just project things out forever. But if we can bring ourselves back to, okay, like, let's say they procrastinate. And then it's like, okay, they haven't learned the skill of not procrastinating Mm -hmm. yet. Yet. How can I help them build that? And when you switch your thoughts to that, it's much more calming. So like coping skills like you mentioned and that mindset and mindfulness work. Yeah. And, and I think an element of that, if I think about my own, my own parenting, an element of that is, is patience. Like knowing that sometimes they just grow out of this stuff, right? Like sometimes they just grow out of it or like with my son or my daughter, like, you know, like okay, their laundry's all over the floor and they need clean clothes. Now I could go in there and scoop up the clothes and go wash them and fold them and put them in their, in their, um, you know, in their dresser. Or I could let them sit there. And what I find now is I do let them sit there. And then all of a sudden I see a kid walking down the stairs with a laundry basket who says, I really want clean laundry. So guess what? I'm going to do it right now. I had to sit and watch that laundry on the floor for weeks on end going like, what is going on there? It's driving me crazy. But now I created the space for the kid to go, oh, you know what? I really want this laundry because now I'm 14 or 15 and it's important to me because I don't want to look like a slob, right? Whereas when he was 12, he didn't care, (laughs) right? So, right. So sometimes they just grow out of it developmentally. And parents, I think a lot of times don't have those skills to be mindful and patient and like just wait yet, right? The power of yet. I I love that because I think it's, it's such a simple, it's such a simple thing, such a simple fix, but to be patient in the moment and let things slide when you know you can fix them, it's not an yeah. easy instinct to, to hold back on. No, I mean, you really have to tap into tolerating discomfort. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're right on the mark. It's not easy. Yeah. But if you can do it, I mean, look at your example. You helped your kid build the life skill of doing his laundry and taking care of himself and realizing, gosh, if I, you know, want to wear clean clothes to school and my, my friends, you know, don't want my friends to make fun of me that I smell or I have dirty clothes, I'm, I'm going to do laundry. And I would even add to that, some kids might say, hey, can you help me? Right. So you also might be helping them build the skill of what you touched on earlier, Mm -hmm. asking, asking for help. You have to give them opportunities to ask. If you just do their laundry for them, there's never an opportunity for them to build that skill. Yeah. And the, the, something that just came up while you were saying that we were, you know, as we were talking is, you know, something I talk to athletes a lot about, which is identity. And for me, like my identity in personally is not wrapped up in the fact that my kids have clean folded clothes put away. But for a lot of parents, it is, right? For a lot of parents, it's like, if I don't, if my, if this is not, if I'm not doing this and my kid looks like a slob or my house is a mess or whatever, they, that's a reflection on them. And it's like, I'm not comfortable with that. And that, and that's fair because that it's, it is their identity. Being a good mom or dad is so important. How we define ourselves really impacts the way we judge 
our performance is apparent. And I think that that's a really hard thing to overcome too. Again, because I think that's something we're taught, right? You grow up and mom did your laundry and folded and put it away. Now, you know, I have to do the same thing. I think what I see parents struggle with in the beginning working with me is that their definition, what is their definition of a good parent? Mm -hmm. And it tends to be these things you're talking about because that's how we were raised. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you slow down a little bit and you think about, well, what do I want here? Like, If I want to have a relationship with my child when they're an adult and for decades to come, I have to have a connection. Mm-hmm. And so then you like evaluate your parenting through the lens of, is this creating a connection? Is this helping my child build a skill or is it not? And, you know, butting heads and arguing over laundry, it's not. <laughs> You're right. So so I, I did want to touch on specifically, you mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, college. What are some of the issues you see with parents who are getting ready for to send their kids off to college? Is it something that you deal with specifically? And what are some of the things that you see as being issues in that space? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that tends to be different issues, um, or evolving issues. Mm -hmm. I do coach some parents who have college age kids. I actually have Mm -hmm. a client who's got a a 26 year old. So it's all, you know, there's a range if we don't address these early on, you know, it's never too late to address it. If you want a relationship with your child when for the, all the years to come, it's never too late. And so when you're referring specifically to college, um, you know, I, I would just offer that that senior year in high school when they're about to make the transition, that you look for every possible opportunity where they can be independent, right? There's, you still have them for that last year and, um, you're that's you're really looking to help them build whatever skills you possibly can. Mm-hmm. I think the other really important thing is to establish if you haven't yet establish communication where they feel like you get them, you understand them and that they can come to you with anything mm-hmm. and they're not going to get punished. Right? Because once they head to college, it's pretty tough to punish them. You can't, you don't <laughs> see them anymore and they're going to do what they want. Yeah. So at that point, I what you want to focus on is if they're in trouble, if they're struggling, I, I want to be the phone call. I want to know, right? I don't want them to spiral in anxiety or depression and let it get out of control, which we see is so prevalent these days. Right, you you want to convey to them that nothing you tell me, nothing you come to me with, is going to push me away from you or make me not love you. Um, because at that point, when they're heading to college, you 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 want, and I hope everybody wants and you know needs to be their safety net mm-hmm. if things go haywire. Yeah. I love that. I, I wrote that down. You know, you want to be the phone call that, you know, you want to be the person that they call. I think that that's like, if that's, if that's your goal, right. And that's the goal you're trying to serve. Like, I think that's amazing, right? Like ultimately that shows that like they trust you, right. No matter what, yeah. that they're not going to get judged or, or punished when they need something that they truly believe that you have their best interest at heart. And I think if you frame everything through that lens, that's a pretty good way to look at it. Yeah. And that, you know, trust that you talk about, it does take time to evolve. So Mm -hmm. you might show up and say this to your child, but they might not be ready to really believe it Mm -hmm. until you've demonstrated it a number of times. But, you know, if you are a parent listening and you've got your kids going to college, again, it's like never too late. Just realize I have very little control now that they go to college. And really what I really want is I want to be that phone call if there's a problem, a serious mm-hmm. problem going on. And I so I have the opportunity to help them. And if that's your desire, like it really was my desire and my client's desire, then, um, you know, just say it and communicate it and tell them that, okay, 
I'm realizing maybe in the past I've parented more through rewards and punishments and punitive consequences, but I'm realizing today you're leaving the house in the fall and you know, and I want you to know that you're going to be independent. And I really just want to make sure, you know, you can always come to me and you won't have any sort of negative consequence or punitive consequence. That's great. I mean, you, you've shared so much, really so much valuable information over the last, you know, 45 or 50 minutes. So now as we wrap up, I'm going to ask you to boil it down to one point, you know, which I'm sure will be difficult. So For the parents listening, what's the one piece of advice that you would sort of choose to leave with them here as we wrap up? Yeah, yeah. I think it's such a good question. One piece of advice is tough, but I will offer um, what I think is probably the most impactful. And that is no matter what age your child is, whether they're a preteen, teen, a young adult, is to lead in your conversations with compassionate curiosity. Perfect. Perfect. I love that. That's a great piece of advice. I think curiosity and compassion are things that really go a long way in terms of getting the outcomes that we want, right? But it requires us to sort of cede a bit of control. So that's a great way to end. Janine, thank you so much for for joining me here and sharing all this Mm. wonderful wisdom. And I love talking about this stuff. So it was great to have you on and maybe we can do it again soon. I would love that. It was so great talking to you and hopefully your audience got walked away with some tips. And um, I love talking about teens and teen athletes as well. So thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Janine. So what's your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Janine Muchawar? My biggest takeaway is that parents need to shift their approach from a controlling style to one that empowers their teenagers. Just as I do, Janine encourages parents to foster autonomy and problem-solving skills in their teens, which will equip them for life's challenges. Furthermore, she emphasizes open communication lines where teenagers feel understood and can express their concerns freely. We're grateful to Janine for sharing her wisdom with the Freshman Foundation community. You can learn more about Janine's coaching work by visiting her website, janinemuchawar.com. You can also follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Janine Muchawar Coaching. To learn more about how mental performance coaching can help you be ready for your next step in the game of life, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening to the Freshman Foundation Podcast. We'll see you back soon for episode 65. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks, ready to get better.